Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Y'all can have a seat, a comfortable seat in the home of Jesus. Good morning for the next 10 minutes because it's about to be noon. No good morning for the next 10 minutes because it's about to be noon. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, praise God. So for those who don't know me, I know Sundays could be fast-paced and stuff. I'm Rudy. I've been coming to this church for nine and a half years. I've been a deacon for about seven and a half, something like that. And um, I'm also a pastoral intern, so it's a blessing for me to be here and share the word with you guys today. Amen. The Lord took me from atheism to Bible college to pastoral intern, and I'm just really blessed to be able to share the word this morning. Amen. All right, so we're going to go to Matthew 16. Don't go there yet, guys. I want to talk about this slide real quick. So this is something that Pastor Joe did for me. Uh, he made this beautiful slide or flyer. And I love the big or because it's such a big decision. The concerns of God or the concerns of man. It's a huge decision that many miss. Many could miss. You may be sitting here, you probably missed it already. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? But many miss this big decision. When I came to know Jesus, it was very clear to me on what kind of life I was going to live. Am I going to continue in the ways of myself in the atheist lifestyle I was, myself, or am I going to go ahead and hop on the concerns of God? It was very clear of what I wanted to do. It's either I stay the way I am or change and, and follow Jesus. It's a big question. It's a big decision. And I want to talk about what Jesus talked about when he talked about the wide and narrow path. Because he said that wide is the path and big is the gate that leads to destruction. And many find that path, unfortunately. Many are walking on that path, unfortunately. But he says skinny is the gate. Not exact words, but you get what I'm saying. Skinny or small is the gate and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life and few find it. And I'm not a math wizard, but that means only one-third of people are going to actually have the concerns of God and are going to be walking on the, on the narrow eternal life path. That means two-thirds of everybody is going to already be on the concern of themselves. Already, on, on, they just care about themselves. That means two-thirds are on their way to hell. And we got we to gotta understand, like, I know Jesus died on the cross, but he also said many are going to find the path that leads to destruction, but few are going to find the eternal life path. But he still took the cross, even knowing that ratio, if that's a ratio or fraction, whatever it is. But he still did it. It's a big decision. We got to ask ourselves and live today. Am I going to live for the concerns of God or the concerns of man or concern of myself? Because what I see a lot in the church age, this day and age, even you could be sitting here, you may be living this way where all you think about is yourself. You treat God like a vending machine. Sorry, I had to say hi. You treat God like a vending machine. I'm distracted. And you just want to go to God whenever you want something. And you don't ever want to, you don't ever want God to, you just want God to do stuff for you and you don't want to do anything for God. So a vending machine, here's a go. You go to a vending machine when you're not really super hungry, you want something to hold you off. You're just like, man, I just got to, you know, get something from the vending machine, hold me off to the meal time. And we treat God like that. Like, God, I'm just going to go to you right now because I just need something right now. I lost a brother due to a death. I got to go to you, God. And just say, give me what you, give me what you got, Lord. And isn't that what the 5,000 men did to Jesus? There's a story. I'll get to the scripture in a second. But there's a story in the Bible, one of my favorite. I think it's in John 6, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. You can find it all over the Gospels. And 
he feeds them miraculously with three loaves and two fish. Like, how do you feed 5,000 men plus their families with three loaves and two fish? It was a miracle. But then he left them. He, after they ate, he left because he didn't want them to make him king by force. And then when they find him, the first thing they ask is, hey, what kind of miracle are you going to do to show us you are who you say you are? You see, those people... And we can be so subject to that too, are only caring about themselves. They just want their own concerns. God, what can you do for me? How can you bless me? How can you make my bank account look bigger, Lord? How can you make my job promote me, Lord? Uh, What? Since when is God about Peter? I want to just make you fish for more fish. No, he said I want you to be a fisher of men. And so that's the concern of God. And we want to tackle that today because I got a message. I got a prophetic message for the church in America and even a prophetic message for you if you're still under concerns of yourself. We got to we got to expose some stuff that's been kept in a kept in a box too long. So let's get to it. Matthew 16 verse 13. Opening text, our anchor text for today. The concerns of God or concerns of man. Here we go. 13. Thank you. So here we go. We're going to start this little story off with Peter, man, a man that got rebuked a lot, but here we go. Starting with Peter. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then uh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? He's talking to his disciples like, okay, that's what they think, but who do you, the people that have been spending time with me, who do you say I am? And then Simon Peter, out of that bunch, he raised his voice, and he's like, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know, Jesus is very happy with that answer. We're going to see how Jesus just praised Peter and gave him extra, extra, like, man, you got it. Look what Jesus starts to say. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, that's another word for hell, The gates of Hades will not overcome it, the church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he ordered his disciples to not tell anyone that he was a Messiah. So as soon as Peter got that revelation, right, and we're going to believe it came from God, like he got it. Like you are the Messiah. You are the one we're waiting for. You are the son of the living God. And then Jesus just goes like crazy, like, man, you got it, man. Here are the keys to the kingdom. You got it. Here's the church and the church that I'm going to build upon. That, the Hades and hell won't overcome that church. You got it. Here are the keys. Do what you got. Do what you got to do. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Like, you got it, Peter. Let's keep going because I know that Jesus was praising Peter, but I got to tie this down to what's actually happening here. Keep going, yeah. Verse 21. Here we go. From that time on. After Peter had the revelation, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Here we have Jesus. He's predicting the very thing that all of us must ground our whole foundation of our faith on, the resurrection of Jesus. He's, he's predicting it even before it even happens, even before he's going to be handed over and be arrested. He's predicting all of it. He's like, okay, you got that. I'm the son of the living God. I'm the Messiah. You got it. Okay, this is what's going to happen to the Messiah, the son of the living God. He's going to be arrested, right? He's going to suffer many things. He's going to be killed and be raised to life. Now, look at verse 20. What is that, 22? 
Yeah, 22. Peter took him aside. Now, I don't know who gave Peter this microphone, first of all, or this, 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 this audacity. But he, he decided, he's like, I got the keys to the kingdom. There's the kingdom holder. Let me just burp. Jesus took him aside. Who's him? Is it Jesus? Is, is, is Peter taking Jesus aside? Yes, he is. <laughs> so he's taking Jesus aside, and he began to rebuke him. And I asked, is he taking Jesus aside? Because why? Who, who, who gave Peter the, the thinking that, oh, I can go ahead and tell this Messiah what to do? Not just tell him what to do, but rebuke him. He says, never, Lord. I mean, I mean, think about it. I'm just, in my mind, I'm like, Peter is going to take Jesus aside. Like, hey, Jesus, never, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. You can just imagine you telling your boy, like, I ain't going to let anything happen to you. This ain't going to happen to you. I got your back, Jesus. They ain't going to touch you. And then think about what Jesus is saying. He's like, this man, I told him all this stuff. He has the keys to the kingdom. Now he wants to get into my way. Look what Jesus says. Get behind me, Satan. Come on. You are a stumbling block to me. The moment, the moment we want to put our agenda on Jesus or the kingdom of God, we are the stumbling block. Whatever God is doing, well, we want it to be our way, our kingdom. That's what Peter wanted. Peter wanted it to be his way. No, Jesus, I don't want you to die. Therefore, never, Lord, I ain't going to let it happen to you. He wasn't with the concerns of God. All he cared about was himself. The little bit of heartache he'll get from Jesus being killed. But maybe he missed the part of the resurrection. I have no idea. But he was probably all emotional, like, no, don't. they're not going to take you from me. But Jesus says, you're a stumbling block to me. And many of us, many churches, many prophets, false prophets, all that stuff can be a stumbling block to the move of God because we're too concerned with ourselves, concerned with our own uh, desires, our own human desires, and never wondering, what does God desire? So I must speak to that false idea. I must confront it and be like, this is wrong. If we think that God is just waiting for our every request just, just because and us, us never doing anything for God, we got the wrong idea about what the kingdom of God is. Yes, God hears our prayers, but that's after we already gave our life to him and living for him. We can't expect God to just bless us with a job because I'm a firm believer that the devil gives out more jobs than God does. I'm a firm believer because, look, if, if that job is making you work on Sundays, you can't make it to Sundays. How is that in God's will? You got to really wake up and be like, man, not every blessing that, that we think is a blessing is from God. He says, get behind me, saying you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The concerns of God or the concerns of men. And look what Jesus says to his disciples. He, he, take, he makes another teaching moment. From all of that, like I give you the keys to the kingdom. But see, here's the thing. Peter had it all appear in the mind, like this is who you are. I know this is who you are. I spent time with you. Like this is who you are. I've seen the miracles. He had it in his mind, but Peter's heart was far from what he believed in his mind. Think about that. Because I know we, we, we know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Is that 3.16? Yes, it is. Sorry. <laughs> for God so loved the world. That's like the most famous Christian verse, and I can't even remember, remember it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, think about that. Peter, in his mind, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. Out of the disciples, he's the one that said, hey, you're the Messiah. But his heart was so far from that belief because for him to think that he can just pull Jesus aside and get in the way of the move of God, he didn't believe what he said out of his mouth. I mean, that's what I would assume. He didn't believe that he was truly the Messiah, the son of the living God. If he wanted to go ahead and crush Jesus' agenda and say, no, nah, I got your back, Jesus. This ain't going to happen to you. So he, he's definitely not, not 
the concerns of God. So then Jesus continues to teach his disciples using what just happened. He says, look, all you my disciples, listen to this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. He's using this analogy of him having to be killed and resurrected. He's saying you must do the same. You must be willing to lose your life for me. And whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet lose their soul? We already know out of the, the, the broad and narrow path that two-thirds of this world is already going to hell. They're already forfeiting their soul. Two-thirds of the population of the world, people, that's more than Thanos would have done. Look, people are already forfeiting their soul. So he's like, if you're going to live like the world, what good would it be to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? There's many on that path, and there's going to be great times. Look, but, man, you're forfeiting your soul. It's not worth it. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and his angels. Look, Peter ain't got nothing on this. Because Peter ain't going to be coming with the angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. That's our Jesus, the Son of Man, coming with the angels in his Father's glory, just basking in the glory. And he's like, I'm going to reward each person to what, according to what they have done. And Peter gets rebukes, but we got to live, we got we to understand that message. That we can't be subject to his having our own concerns. I'm going to go to church because I really need help right now. Like, look, I understand we need help, but you need to go to church because you want Jesus. And when you get here, you got to seek Jesus. It's not just a self-help place. This is, not a, this is not me being a therapist to you all. This is Jesus. This is our creator who knows what's best for us. We don't know what's best for ourselves. If we did, there wouldn't be a need for Jesus coming on the cross. But we don't know what's best for ourselves. That's why Jesus stood in the gap. And he's like, you know that verse that says what is impossible with man is possible with God? What that's really saying is there's nothing we can do to get to heaven. It is impossible for man to get to heaven on their own. That's why it's possible with God. Stepping in, being in the gap for, for everybody. What well, was impossible for us to get to heaven. So I really want us to understand this. If we're on the concerns of ourselves, nothing is going to be different with us coming to church because many people could go to church and still be stuck on their own concerns. Oh, about me. What can God do for me? Vending machine God here. I'll, I'll take the vending machine home. I'll just go to my prayer closet when I need something. Look, God's not looking to, for you to just treat him like a vending machine. He's looking for a true relationship to save us from the fires of hell, to save us from what the enemy stole. So I want us to, to go through seven yeses. I got seven yeses to share about our yes to Jesus. Because it's easy for anybody to say, yeah, I'm down for Jesus. I'm ready to go the whole nine yards with Jesus. It's easy to say it in our minds. Like, I believe that, yeah. But then when, when times actually come, you want to throw in the towel, say, this is too hard. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I want to do. If, 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 if this comes with, if following Jesus comes with persecution, forget about it. I'm not putting my life on the line. You see, that's why he said we must deny ourselves because we cannot truly follow Jesus full of ourselves. What room is there left in your heart if you're full of yourself? The world's telling you to follow your heart. The Bible t says to, to don't follow your heart because it's deceiving. So let's go through seven yeses. The first yes I want to go to, you, can, you guys could go to Acts 4.12. I'm going to use a lot of scriptures today, but just, to, just so you know, the Bible is the one that, that cuts your soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Seven yeses, okay? The first one is Acts 4.12. The first yes I have is the yes to salvation. It's the most simple thing I could ever think about. 
There's no easier way to get to heaven than the salvation found in Jesus. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing else that we must do. It's just our yes to Jesus. But I know that there could be such deception when it comes to salvation. And wouldn't the enemy love to just do that? Put something in your mind that makes you think you cannot make it to heaven. Be deceived. When Jesus hung on a cross, you want to believe the devil that's just lurking around. Look, Jesus died on the cross as a sign. You know how a, how a man gets on his knees and proposes to his future wife? Well, that's what Jesus did to us by dying on the cross. He's saying, I did everything for you here. Boom. Will you believe in me? Not just in your mind, but in your heart. Believe in me. Because Peter did not just have it in his, in his heart. He had it only in his mind. Look what Acts 4.12 says. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind in which he must be saved. That's right. There ain't no one else. Buddha, you can't be saved by Buddha. You can't be saved by the Virgin Mary because it says there is no other name. So she should not get more prayers than Jesus. She should not do it. She should not have more prayers than Jesus. And if you're letting a Hindu out pray you, you got to recheck your prayer life. Salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus. That's it. Given to mankind in which we must be saved. Not by our works. Not by how, how good we do. And we shouldn't start tallying our sins like oh my gosh i sinned i sinned i sinned just living in the fear of hell when you should be living in the fear of god that's what that's that's the problem what i see when people try to live for jesus is we're just so scared of hell that we're like anything anything what do i got to do to be saved from hell oh go to church yeah believe in jesus i believe but man where is the connect with our heart are we just so scared of hell that we don't want to just have the fear of the lord because that's where that's where it's truly found let's go to first john 1 9 as we continue on our yes to salvation. There's seven yeses. Here's the first one. And you guys know John 3, 3. It says, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Being born of the Spirit. Being born on the inside of the Spirit of God. That's why we can't do it on our own. That's why after Jesus died on the cross, now we have an advocate, a helper to make us born in the Spirit. Because the Bible says, if God puts his seed in us, we will not go on sinning. See, there's once a time where I would li I'd like to do sin, but now I don't because I got the Spirit of God inside of me. I'm at a crossroad. Do I want to continue to sin, sin in my anger, lust, all that stuff, or do I want to live for Jesus? We got to be at a point where it's like, man, I don't want to forfeit my love for Jesus for this broken, dirty sin. If you don't see sin as broken and dirty, then you don't really don't understand God's holiness. You need to know that that's, why am I choosing dirtiness and wickedness and filth over the Son of God, because you don't understand God's holiness. So at a crossroad, you don't want to involve yourself in the filth of this world, the works of the enemy. You want to live for Jesus. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Right there, that's the problem with a lot of us is we don't want to confess our sins. We don't want to look bad. Why? Because we're so concerned with ourselves. We don't want to look bad. Oh, I sinned. You know, pray for me. We don't want to do that. Why? Because we're concerned with ourselves. But look what it says. But he is faithful and will forgive you of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But we got to confess. We got to admit that we've sinned against the holy God, that we're dirty, filthy, that we've messed up. And in exchange, we get his righteousness. We get his holiness. We get his goodness so that we can be seen as holy and blameless. And verse 10, it says, if we, claim, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him, God, out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. 
So if we walk around as if we have not sinned, as if, as if we don't want to share and confess our sins, then we're saying, well, he's a liar. We got to be open and willing to do that, to, to confess that we have sinned. But look, a lot of the gospel is not preached everywhere. Let me tell you that. The good news of Jesus is not preached everywhere. It doesn't help that these famous preachers don't even share this kind of message. Confess your sins. Why, where have we got to in America where this kind of message is hateful to somebody and we shouldn't say it? Where have we got to where we're more concerned about men than the concerns about God? Question, does God care about that person in their sin? Yes. So would he want us to tell them, hey, you're in sin. You can come to the one that forgives your sins. Would he want us to tell them that? Then why is the church so afraid to tell people about their sin? Have we got to a place in our church where we're just concerned about our building, lights, and people, our attendance, that we're saying, no, no, TJ, don't tell them that they have sin because you'll offend them, then they'll leave. Have we got to a place where we're we're more concerned about the concerns of man than the concerns about God? Yes, we have. And it takes those who are woke, those who understand what's going on around us. We're not just in a box with our little box Jesus and saying, yeah, this is great here. I love my prayer services. I love my worship meetings. I just love it here. It's so comfortable. That's so wrong as far as the kingdom of God. That's what Peter wanted. Like, no, Jesus, don't go over there. Just stay with me. I'll never let it happen to you. Just our click, our 12, no more. That's it. But no, we got to be willing to be involved in the things of God so that God can work in this world through us. But we got to put in the work. But so many are deceived. They don't even know how to be saved because they don't want to confess their sin because of pride. So it's a blessing to confess your sin and say, God is the one that forgives sin. I don't want to walk around acting like I'm sinless. Matthew 7, 21. Fear of the Lord. You can put it up there because I want everybody to see this. Matthew 7, 21. Really want to put the fear of the Lord in our hearts because, like I said, if we're living in the fear of hell rather than the fear of the Lord, we missed the point of our faith. We should not just follow Jesus because, oh, it's our way out of hell. That's not what we should be doing. Um, Matthew 7, 21. Here we go. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Bringing it back to Peter. Look, Peter understood who he was. He even said, Messiah, son of the living God. He called him Lord. But he wasn't doing the will of God at that moment when he's like, nah, I ain't going to let you be killed and crucified and and raised to life. He was not on God's will. Jesus called him a stumbling block and called him Satan. So we can't be in the way if if we want to call ourselves a Christian and say, Lord, Lord. Jesus is like, not everybody that says it is going to get in. Only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. So don't be deceived. Because there's going to be many. There are many that are going to deceive you in thinking, oh, you good. Look at the way you pray. You good. But man, look, if our hearts are far from God, what is the point of all of this? What's the point? So our first yes is yes to salvation. Let's get to our next yes. Yes to prayer and intimacy. You can go to Matthew 6, verse 5. And all these yeses I'm going to share, it's all on the table. Yes to salvation, yes to prayer and intimacy, yes to the rest that I'm going to tell you. But it's all on the table. And we can't just take one and be like, oh, this is good. I like this. I like this. Yeah, Jesus, you can keep that. No. When we say yes to Jesus, he's saying everybody because he says those who put their hand to the plow and look back is not fit for the kingdom. Which means if you're trying to work for God, but then you're looking back at your old life like, man, that was better. I want to go back to that. You're not fit. Just put the thing down. You ain't fit for the kingdom. 
But prayer and intimacy is so important because without that relationship with God that he wants with us, think about it. God came down in the flesh to bridge that gap between God and man so that we can have a relationship with him. This is what Jesus says, Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. And I wish that a lot of people would pray in the street corners. Honestly, I really wish they would. Uh, to be seen by others. He's saying, don't do it just to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close that door and pray to your Father who is unseen. That's how you know it's faith. When you're praying to God who you don't see, then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. I do this for an audience of one. But we got to build our relationship with Jesus. That's going to be our main anchor right there, our relationship with Jesus. Because whenever, whenever you come across sin or any distraction, you're like, uh-uh, I'm keeping my relationship with Jesus. Thank you very much. Swerve. And he's the, one that lets, he's the one that allows us to swerve, by the way, because he says he will help us in those times. But that intimacy with God is so important, and many of us could miss it. Oh, I have my prayer meeting at church. I'm, you know. I have my, my, my worship service I go to and my, at church, I'm the door greeter. I do all this stuff. And you miss the intimacy with God that is so, so important, especially at this time. To really have that anchor and that foundation with the Lord in, in a relationship, not a religion, relationship. We're going to read Psalm 91 and see the heart of someone that knows what it's like to be in the presence of God. When no one's watching, it's just you and him. This is what sets us apart from other religion like we have a God that actually speaks to us and wants to commune with us whenever you're eating with your family invite Jesus for dinner pray before your meal just don't pull up a chair and expect him to sit down and talk to an invisible wall you you invite Jesus to your your dinner table and you say Lord we thank you thank you for guiding our family all that stuff we invite Jesus to be part of our family Psalm 91 this is a this is a psalm of someone that knew what it's like to dwell with God that it's not, they're not just standing on their own. They have a most high with them. They have God Almighty with them. So let's read this. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find a refuge. In his faithfulness, he will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terrors of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most higher dwelling, no harm can overtake you. Yes, even, even when we get persecuted, we got to believe that no harm will overtake us because we got eternal life. Forget that. No disaster will come near you, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on lion and the cobra and will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. That's what the Lord is, it wants us to do. Come to him and rely upon him. 
And I believe this is God's response to us. Because Will loves me, because Jocelyn loves me, I will rescue her. I'll protect her, acknowledge her. I mean, she acknowledges my name, all that stuff. And he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. See, when we put all of our hope in Jesus, not a church, not a building, not even a ministry, not even our families, it has to be in Jesus. We'll know that even if we face trouble, the Lord's hand of protection is still with us. And he won't let us down. He's a good God, not a bad God. Let's remember that. He's a good God. He's also a just God. So he, he's trying to save us before that destruction comes that we're putting upon ourselves. Why? Look, we're already on our way to hell. He's just trying to save us from that route. Amen? So prayer and intimacy is important to have that relationship with God. If you are not praying enough, pray more. Always pray more. Fellowship with Jesus. Invite him to your home. Invite him to your bedroom or closet or bathroom. Sing in the shower. Do what you got to do. Just exalt his name. Acknowledge his name. God, you're good and your mercy endures forever. And he, and he hears you. So yes to salvation. Yes to prayer and intimacy. Next, it's starting to get real now because the majority of the Christian population would say, yeah, salvation, intimacy, yes. But now it gets real. And it's going to get more intense as we go down to yeses, just so you guys know. So it's like a suspenseful, suspenseful yeses, okay? So yes to preach the gospel, okay? Stepping out of our comfort zone, what are you saying? Uh, opening our mouths, what are you saying? Yeah, let's go to Acts 1, verse 7. Yes to preach the gospel. We have gone so far from preaching the gospel in this nation, it's not even funny. It's so sad. And, and the, part, the, the sad part is that you have these, these uh, not even televangelists anymore. I would say YouTube events. I don't know what you would call them anymore. But these YouTube preachers and these people without covering saying prophetic words. And you have these YouTube churches and, and it's going all crazy. But you, you fail to hear the heart for the lost in their messages and their songs. Man, you fail to hear that. And the more we, 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 we become so accustomed to that in our culture, the more we resist the Bible. Let me tell you, the more we, we resist the words of Jesus. That tells us to go out there and preach the gospel. The more we resist the words of God and his kingdom because we're so concerned with our own kingdom, our own concerns, our, the concerns of man. But God's ways is so different. Before we go to Acts 1-7, I'm going to read personally this. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Remember, not just in our minds. It's got to connect. First the Jew, then the Gentile. We shouldn't be ashamed of, of preaching the gospel even if it offends people. Because people got to take that, 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 that Holy Ghost conviction and respond to God and say, God, what that guy said is probably true. I'm a sinner. But, man, if we don't tell them they're in sin, they're going to think they're okay with God. All they got to do is go to the vending machine and get what they need, and they're good. Rebuke that. That's lukewarmness. That's being lukewarm. You can't treat God like a vending machine and be like, yeah, I'm going to just go there when I need it. No. If anything, just take the backpack of snacks with you. This is what I need. I need you to go everywhere with me, Jesus. Like, <laughs> but, no, we're not, we're, not, we're not serving a vending machine God. Look what it says in Acts 1, 7 through 8. He said to them, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. He said to them, it's not for you to know the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Witnesses of what? Well, they've seen a, a man get crucified. He resurrected, spent 40 days with me. I'm, witness, I'm witnesses of that. Like, yeah, this guy actually does live. You guys didn't kill him. And so 
we are to take that message all over the world. And we're commanded to. Let's go to Matthew 28, verse 18. We're going to go there, man, because you guys don't think I'm telling the truth, but I'm letting the Bible preach for me. Amen? I'm letting the Bible preach for me. The very last instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples, which is basically the first church almost, the last instructions he gave to his disciples was the very thing that most churches in America forget about. And I talk about it like Walgreens. You know, you have Walgreens. It's mainly a what? A drugstore. That's why they could overprice candy bars. They could overprice everything, you know. But Walgreens has everything. And, and everybody could probably walk to their local Walgreens. That's the cool thing about it. It's like it's not far. You know, that's why they could overprice everything. But think about this. If Walgreens was only candy bars, is it a drugstore? No. And, you know, you walk into Walgreens. You walk. Everybody knows you're going to probably walk in there on a diagonal because their doors are on the corner, you know that to your left is what? The registers. You know that to your right is like the cosmetics, and you know to the back is the pharmacy. You know exactly where to find your stuff at Walgreens, right? Now, would Walgreens be Walgreens without the prescription drugs? Would it really be Walgreens? It defeats the purpose. It's like, well, why am I going to pay $1.50 for this candy bar when I can get it at Family Dollar for 75 cents, you know? Think about this. The church without discipleship and evangelism is like a Walgreens without the prescription drugs. What's the point of your store, man? Why am I going to pay this much money for candy bar and, and a Hot Wheels car? Why am I going to do that? We have forgotten what the purpose of the church was, the kingdom of God coming down to earth and saying, hey, believe in Jesus, and I'm going to teach you what he taught me so that you can teach others so that we can get more into the kingdom. It's like, what's the purpose of this building if we're not going to preach the gospel? This building should serve a purpose to train us up, not be the end-all, be-all of our church lives. Like, this is the most prayer I ever do. Like, that's wrong. This should be the training ground, like the barracks where the Marines go to train. Then we go out there and do the work. We go out there and fight the battle, and it's not against flesh and blood. We know that. But this, this building, these lights, these are all temporary. But we, what we do in here could be eternal. What we do out there could be eternal. So we must go preach. Look what Jesus said. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus said to them, last instructions, like I said, before he ascended to the Father. Um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go. You ain't going to stay. You're going to go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why have we forgot this? And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Look, just because we pray, that's not fulfilling the Great Commission. I know prayer is good, but that's not fulfilling the Great Commission. Like if your boss told you to do A, B, and C over the weekend, and on Monday he's going to reward you according to what you've done, how many things you've sold, but you didn't sell anything. All you did was, was um, the little stuff like vacuum the carpet or, you know, shine the tires on a car. It's like, what did you do? Did you even sell cars? No, but I made sure the cars looked good. Now, if Jesus comes back, he's going to judge us according to what we've done for him. What are we going to say? He's going to say, well, how many times did you go preach? How many disciples did you make? I'm going to judge you by your fruit. What do you have to show me? Why well, dusted the church walls? Well, I, I served in the, in the parking lot ministry, you know. It's like, what does that matter? Like, man, look, I understand it's needed, but did you do what I told you to do? Yeah, it helps, but, man, you missed the whole purpose. We can't be so subject to that where we're just so concerned about ourselves that we don't want to step out and be uncomfortable for Jesus. He said he'll be with us to the very end of the age, but we got to do something to, make, to allow him to come with us. We got to go preach. Um, let's go to the next yes. 
yes, to make disciples. It's the same thing, but I'm going to also go to Matthew 16, 24. Yes, to make disciples. That's part of the Great Commission. The last instructions Jesus gave to his disciples was to go and do likewise. Teach them everything I taught you, teach them. And I'll be with you to the very end of the age. It's very important, but we've gone so far from it. This is a, look, this is like a prophetic message to the churches in America. Because I am so tired of seeing such lukewarmness in our churches where it's like when, I, when I'm preaching the gospel, I have other Christians trying to teach me how to preach. I'm like, dude, you don't even preach yourself. I just want us to be, I just want to drive down diversity and see Maranatha preach, and they do it sometimes, but I want to see other churches down there. Why is there so many churches per neighborhood in our city is still broken? Because nobody's doing anything about it. Here's the thing. We have our prayer meetings, and a lot of those prayer meetings, I'm wondering what they're praying for. Are they praying for just our family members to get well? Are they just praying for more funds in the church? Are they just praying for a good out, uh, outreach or whatever? It's like, I know that when MPI holds a prayer meeting, there's always going to be praying for the lost. There's always going to be praying for our city. There's always going to be praying for our family. And here's the thing. We can't just have prayer meetings and never doing anything about it. So we were praying, God, save our city, save our community, save our family members. That's how our prayer meetings go. And if other churches are doing this, then I'm, look, I'm just going to say this. I'm pretty sure the Lord's telling them to wake up and do it. Like, go ahead. My spirit's with you. Go ahead and preach. Go ahead and go make disciples. Change your community. Yes, you go do it. He said, we'll do greater work. So we got to go ahead and do it. We got to put in the work. We can't just be like, yeah, do it, Lord. I'll stay here. You go ahead and do it, Jesus. Which I feel like, man, if your prayer request is, Lord, change our neighborhood, but you're staying in your house and never preaching, never going out of your comfort zone to expose sin, to preach about the kingdom of God, then what are you expecting Jesus to just be doing all the work on the streets, like by the Holy Spirit? With what? He sent his church to stand up at the gates of hell, and it will not prevail, but we got to go ahead and be bold and preach. That's why the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost, so we could be bold enough to do that. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Denying yourself is probably the hardest lesson any person could do. Because I know pride is the biggest thing that people deal with. Don't want to don't confess your sins. You feel like you're good. But, man, we have to really deny ourselves. Because if, if, no, if, if we're full of ourselves, there's no room for the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts because we're full of ourselves. And we can't try to hold hands with the devil and God at the same time and think that we're good. No, we have to deny ourselves saying, God, I'm done living my life. So why don't you come and live it through me? And I want to take up my cross, which means I'm down to even take up my cross to get persecuted and I'll follow you. My yes to Jesus, yes, I'll preach. Yes, I'll be intimate and I'll pray. Yes, I'll be saved. And which brings me to my next yes about taking up your cross. Gets more intense. Our yes to even be persecuted. For Jesus' sake, I, I kid you not, all the scriptures I have for this persecution is all the words of Jesus. So did Jesus talk about us being persecuted? Yes, a lot. He had to warn his disciples so that way when he did, he, did, he did die and resurrect, they wouldn't just be like, oh, man, why is this so hard? Look, we're following, a, we're following this God man that got crucified for his message, and he's telling us to tell that same message to the world. So what do you think is going to happen to us? So let's go um, to Matthew 10, 16. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. So just think about it. We're saying yes to Jesus even in the face of persecution. And if you guys don't know what persecution means, it means something happening to you in the result of standing for Jesus. Negatively. Sorry about that. Something negatively. 
So here's what Jesus says. Words of Jesus. Everything's red letter. You know it's Jesus. So here we go. Jesus says this. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. That's right. It may be dangerous where we go, but he's sending us out. Therefore, since you're in a dangerous place, be as shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves, and be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Did he say if, if you'll be handed over? He said you will. He said you will be handed over and be flogged in the synagogue. See, be careful on your yes to Jesus. Because you don't want him to say, man, it's worse for you than Sodom and Gomorrah. When he was doing miracles in a hometown, in, in, in a town, they seen the miracles. Jesus was with them, but they still didn't repent. He said, man, it's going to be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for that person that doesn't repent. Think about it. You're in the midst of the move of God, and you're just going through the motions. You're just like, yeah, this is awesome. And this whole thing is going on around you where, where the Holy Spirit's falling, people are getting saved, and you're just there. And you're living this life of sin. It'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. But he says, when? See, my fear is this, that in America, we have become so comfortable where we, we don't even face persecution. Where Paul is, Paul is literally in prison rejoicing that it's for Jesus. But we, God forbid, we think that anything bad happens to us. Our friend hates us. Now we're like, oh, man, you know what? I don't want to speak too loud about my faith now. Oh, man. We're so comfortable in America. We're so accustomed to this free nation. Now, it's, it's, it's like a poison because now that we have the freedom to preach, we're not preaching. Now that we have this liberty to, to, to go on the rooftops and preach, we can literally attach, attach speakers to our cars and they won't arrest us. But you can't say the same about Christians in other nations. Man, if Christians in other nations came here, they'll see a lukewarm church that they'll be like, hey, I got a whole bunch of letters from Paul for you guys. Because, man, we have become so accustomed to the comfort that we want God in our box. Because we're concerned about ourselves and the concerns of man. But what is God concerned about? He's concerned about the sinner that needs to be saved. He's concerned about the kingdom of God coming. And my fear is this, that he can give the American church over to a depraved mind. This complacent American church. Is that the kind of thinking you want? Well, not going to use you. Revival's coming over here in Argentina. Come on, we can, look, if revival's happening, it ain't going to happen by us thinking about ourselves. It's got to be kingdom of God focused. It ain't going to happen on ourselves. So he said, be on your guard. You will be flogged in the synagogues. Verse 18, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and be witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest, when they arrest you. Of course, in this country, it ain't happening on the regular. But in this time where you're preaching about that Jesus we crucified? Arrest them. Let's put them in jail. Let's get them out of the streets because they're continuing to talk about that Jesus we crucified. But, man, when you've seen a resurrected person, you don't, just, eh, you don't just put that to the side. You're like, man, I've seen him with my eyes, and he's the son of the living God, and he is Alpha and the Omega. He's the one from the beginning and to the end. He's that one. You can't keep your mouth shut about that. It was so real to them. It's got to be real like that to us where it's like, you're going to persecute me? My yes is still on Jesus, and I'm still living for Jesus. He says, you will, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Man, if you've been evangelizing, you can recall these times where you give out these Bible scriptures. You didn't even remember that you remembered, that you memorized. And you start just giving it out. You're like, man, I didn't even know I knew that. But man, God spoke through me. Yes, that happens. You could ask TJ, man, it happens on the streets. You go out evangelizing, you start giving this crazy wisdom. You're like, man, that's good. I don't even know I knew that. 
It's all the Holy Ghost. You go out preaching, that's what happens. You're like, man, that's what this person needed to hear, but I didn't even know that. I needed to hear that. It happens, I promise you. When you're doing the will of God, look, it's not about you. God's like, okay, here's a vessel. Boom. That's what that guy Timothy needed to hear. Now Timothy knows. Um, so at evangelism, that happens. Let's go to Matthew 24, verse 4. Mm. Matthew 24, verse 4. i got to speak more about persecution real quick. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. You see all these warnings that Jesus is giving? Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Is your yes still yes to Jesus? It's like, man, here, put your, put your name on the line. Oh, by the way, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be put to death for this. Then you're like, oh, well, I don't know about that. Like if, if there was like animal activist petition you're signing up for, they said, hey, they don't like us right now. So if they kill us, you're, you're going down with us. You'd be like, I'm good. I'm not dying for no wolf. I'm not dying for no cat. Look, but when you say yes to Jesus, this is what it entails. Everything. Yes to salvation. Everybody likes that, right? Yes to prayer. Everybody likes that. Yes to preach. It gets a little like, oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll preach to my coworkers on a lunch break, but that's too comfortable for you. It's way too comfortable to do, to preach when it's convenient for you. Oh, man, you're still putting God in a box. We got to literally inconvenience ourselves so that the kingdom of God may go forth. We got to do that because if not, look, this is not the kind of church that Jesus is calling. He says, you will be hated by nations because of me. And look what it says. He says, look what he says, the good God. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. That means many Christians are going to be like, I'm done with this. Why, why do I have to deal with this? Why, why can't it just be peace and loving Jesus? Why do I got to deal with persecution? Why do I got to deal with people sticking up their middle fingers at me just by me saying Jesus loves you? Why do I got to deal with that? People throwing a towel all the time. But this is real Christianity. This is When you're standing and saying Jesus is real to a culture that doesn't want Jesus in their culture, and you start coming into the enemy's camp, you're like, this is the kingdom of God right here. People don't like that. You start saying, yeah, you have sinned, and there's a one that could forgive your sins, and all of a sudden they're offended. Man, get off this corner, you know, whatever it may be. But that's the stuff we take for Jesus. It's a blessing. Blessed are the persecuted, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what happens. But many will turn away from the faith. Forget about this. And they will betray and hate each other. We'll be betrayed even by our own brothers and sisters. Man, look, there may be people in this room that are sitting in these seats, and you may not even be right with God. You may think that, oh, I come to this church, I'm okay. You know, I go to evangelism, I'm okay. Man, you need to reevaluate your life if that's you, because you're still concerned with your own self. You're still concerned with, with the concerns of man. Forget yourself. In, in the words of Jesus, deny yourself. Man, put that self to the grave, man. Jesus, put, put, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. Put yourself in the grave and become that new man. Here we go. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So much deception. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. There's a reason we need to stand firm because it ain't easy being a Christian. But it's definitely a blessing to be one. 
You, you rejoice in your, in your Christianity. You rejoice in your clinging on to Jesus because you're like, man, this is, this is why I was created. I was created for a relationship with God. And if the world doesn't like my relationship with God, well, too bad. I still got it. I still love my relationship with God. I don't care. Uh, Matthew 10, 26. You can go there, but I'm going to start reading because I'm running out of time. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. Matthew 10, 26. So do not be afraid of them. Come on, church. Do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim on the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. This is a word right now. Do not be afraid of the ones who could kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is red letters. I believe that's Jesus. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Jesus said, oh, that's not even the right one. Is it? That ain't even the right one. Amen. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Jesus said hell? Yeah, he said hell. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Jesus said hell. He talked more about hell than heaven. And he wanted to make sure that his disciples knew, like, hey, man, look, you're not on your way to hell, but you could be. And we got to be careful with that. So, yeah, persecution is going to come. Don't be scared of those who can destroy your body. What do you think Juani went through? He was probably in his head thinking, man, God is so good on his way to his car to escape the angry mob coming against him. He knew that God was still good. He wasn't like, oh, man, forget this. I love Jesus. This is how he repays me, man. Look, no. He understood when he read the Bible, like, oh, this is what it feels like to be persecuted. Because in America, we don't know what that's like yet. But he's like, man, this is what it feels like to be persecuted. That's just what it is. Our next yes is very similar, but it's yes to being hated. I want to go to John 15, verse 18. Yes to being hated. So for those of you who don't like to be hated, maybe you're yes saying on Jesus yet. But I encourage you to say yes to Jesus even in the face of hate. I don't care if they hate you. I know a lot of people say, I don't care what they think about me. Whoa. Let's see if, if the rubber meets the road right here. Jesus, speaking again, it's red letters. Jesus is preaching today. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. And as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. See, I'm afraid of this. That the church here in America and any other complacent church on this earth is so concerned with the world loving them. They just want people to love them. They don't, and how they do that is they don't talk about what Jesus says. They don't talk about that hell scripture we just talked about. It's all about seeker sensitive. They just want people to come through those doors and stay. No, Lawrence, don't tell them about sin because then they're going to leave. We're not, we don't do that, Lawrence. It'll offend them. It'll offend them, Lawrence. Don't be talking about sin and, and righteousness and holiness. Come on, we're all one in the spirit, Lawrence. <laughs> That's what these churches would say to Lawrence if he goes to preach there. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We know that it will change people's lives. It changed my life. It changed my life from being an atheist to now being a saved person by knowing Jesus. But the world will hate us for that. Just, just for, look, I'm going to continue reading. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus speaking, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So you really want to follow me? Get ready for persecution because it's going to come. Now you may say, well, we're in America. That's not really going to happen. Look, it's unfolding before our eyes. And if you're not woke, you're going to miss it. You're going to be like, oh, man. You know, let me just tell you this. It's not on my notes, but look at this. 
when Jesus was taken, arrested overnight, and he was getting flogged, right? He was getting whipped. There's an account in the Gospels where it talks about Peter watching at a distance. And he's just watching his master, his Lord, his everything, the, son, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, taking beatings. He's watching him take beatings. And he's like, and this little girl asked him, you know, I know you're with Jesus. He's like, no, I don't know that man. I don't know who that is. And he said it three times. I believe that if we are the ones standing up at the gates of hell and we're getting opposition and persecution for it, there may be churches that are like, oh, yeah, that's Metro Praise. Yeah, they're crazy. They, they talk about all that. They offend people. That's, that's not us. That's them. Just like Peter was like, oh, that's him. That's not, I'm not with him. They're going to be like, oh, I'm not with Metro. You go ahead and take them down. You burn their building. We're not with them. They're, a, they're another breed of Christianity. No. Look, I'm afraid that's what it's going to get to because this complacent American church, this cheesy American church, this compromised American church has forgotten the Great Commission. And we got to get back to that. So those in this room, man, if you are, if you are 100% right with God, rise up as a prophet, even to the false prophets. Those who are teaching the uh, false doctrine in their churches, those who are teaching anything besides the full gospel, rebuke that, be a prophet to them. And also be a prophet to those in the streets who need to hear the gospel. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, Christians, because of Jesus Christ. Just because we hold this name, they're going to treat us this way. It doesn't matter what we say. We can say, man, Jesus loves you. Man, forget you, dude. That's just how it is. For they do not know the one who sent me. Our next yes is yes to enduring to the end. Yes to enduring to the end. This is the last yes. And for that scripture, we're going to go to uh, Revelation 2.10. And I want to recall what we talked about in Matthew 24 when it says, Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, cro- the love of most will grow cold. It then says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That means it's going to happen. There's going to be... Uh, wickedness all around. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be people turning away from the faith. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be hatred. They might want to burn your building down. They may want to kill your family. But the one that stands firm to the end will be saved. Richard, Richard Warmbrand, was that it? This guy that was, uh, he was tortured in a jail cell under, I think, Russian. I don't even have no idea. The story is, is he believed Jesus to his very last, but he didn't die there. But he was tortured for Christ. He has a book out, Tortured for Christ. He said, I will endure to the end because my yes to Jesus was not on a condition. My yes to Jesus is still yes, even in this jail cell, even with the family death threats, even with my livelihood on the line. My yes is still yes to Jesus because he is too good. He is so good. And I'm not going to throw in the towel now just because I'm in a jail cell for him. Oh, Jesus, why would you put me here? I gave you everything, Lord. You're going to put me in a jail cell. Like, how dare you? I thought you knew the plans you had for me. Yeah, the plan was that you preach his name, and if you get locked up, you preach in there too. That's the plans he has for you. That's the plans he has for you. Revelation 2.10. Yes to enduring to the end. Jesus speaking again. I'm telling y'all. He preaching. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as a victor's crown. The reason why we got to say these different yeses to Jesus, because it can't just be a generic yes, like, yeah, sure. 
It can't just be a generic yes, like, yeah, I'm with it. I'm, I'll call myself a Christian. Because, man, you don't want to be found worse than Sodom and Gomorrah claiming Christ but living like the devil. You have to get woke to the things of God. You got to put your whole heart and faith in him. You can't just come in these doors and leave a different way or leave the same way you came. Come on, you're doing it. What are you coming here for? If you're coming here to leave the same way you came, man, you're not doing Christianity right. If, you, if you're just coming here because you're scared to go to hell, you're not doing Christianity right. You got to love God and love people. And the way you do that is, well, you got to have a relationship with Jesus. This church-going thing ain't going to cut it for you on Judgment Day. This I go to prayer meetings thing ain't going to cut it for us on worship day. We have to be 100%. I have the concerns of God. What if you get persecuted? I have the concerns of God. Yes to Jesus. When I said yes to follow Jesus, there was no more going back. There was no going back to my old way of life. Why would I still have that as an option? Do I want to go to hell? Do I want to just live in the filth of this world? Come on now. We got to be 100% understanding of what it's like to live for Jesus, having the concerns of God or having the concerns of man. We got to speak to this. James 1 verse 12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, many will interpret this verse as for themselves when they lose a job, you know, like, oh, I'm persevering on the trial. Like, my bank account's so low. I'm persevering under trial. Many will understand this scripture for, you know, when they lose a family member, like, oh, I'm under trial right now. I got to persevere, and I'm going to stand the test, and I'm going to receive a crown of life. That's so selfish and focused on you. Man, look, this is for, hey, when they're coming at you with death threats and hatred and persecution, yeah, I'm going to persevere on the trial. My, I still got the yes to Jesus, and I'm going to let perseverance finish its work. Because that's what a Christian does. They say, I'm a Christian, which means I hold the badge of Christ, and I'm going to live for Jesus. Just like, let's just, let's just say you were in a Pokemon group, and you're, you, you're dealing Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Like, what are you doing? You're not even with Pokemon. You're with Yu-Gi-Oh. You know, let's just say you are, um, let's just say you're in a biker gang, right? Motorcycle, and you have a bicycle. Like, what are you doing? You're not even doing it right. So when the world sees a church that that looks so compromised, they're not going to want to be part of a church like that. They see churches that, that wither away when things get hard. Do you want to be part of a church like that? No. You don't want to be part of anything like that if it's not 100% serious. So when we as Christians act like Christ and we understand we may be persecuted, but we still stand up at the gates of hell, and people see that, they're like, Dang, church is serious? They're serious about Jesus? It's not some phony baloney kumbaya circle Christian church. It's the church that stands up at the gates of hell, and people want to be part of something that stands when things get hard. Stands up at the gates of hell. People want to be part of that. So we must be like, man, Lord, start in me. I want to be, I want to be 100% for you. Forget my concerns. Forget my needs and desires. I want your needs and desires, Lord, because, man, look, if I try my needs and desires, I'll end up where I started. And I had no pretty place. And I'll be on that broad path that leads to destruction. So in closing, we're going to go through the parable of the sower. Go to Matthew 13, verse 3, please. And then Vinny, you could come if he's around. We'll see if Vinny's around. Vinny could come to the keys. Here we go, Matthew 13, verse 3. Jesus speaking again, amen. <laughs> he's talking about a parable, parable of the sower. And this is how the parable goes, and we'll explain it after this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. 
As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now let's jump down to verse 18. So we heard the parable. Now we're going to dissect it and see what exactly it means and how it applies to us as people that bear the name of Christ. And if you don't bear the name of Christ, we can pray for you after service and you can become a Christian today. Give your life to Jesus. And you can bear the badge of Christ today. Amen. So verse 18. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. Jesus speaking. He's explaining it now. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. And we see this all the time. People hear the message and they don't really get it. They're like, I don't get it. What, what, how do I give my life to Jesus? I don't get what, how he died on the cross for my sins. That's the evil one coming and snatches away what was sown in their heart. But we keep sowing. They may come to the Lord one day. We keep sowing that seed. This is the seed sown along the path. Now the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And then when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. We see this all the time. It's so sad when we see people get so excited for Jesus and they're jumping here in front and worship and they're coming to ministry after ministry. They're getting plugged in. They're going to life group and they get so excited. But then as soon as things get hard, as soon as persecution comes, as soon as they get some opposition for them doing what they're doing, they quickly fall away. Oh, no, that's not, that's not what I signed up for. I signed up for a fun place at church. I, I signed up for this awesome place where we have great programs. But when persecution comes, they're like, no, nah, I'm okay. I'll go to the next church. The church that's not getting persecuted. It says they'll quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Our yes to Jesus has to be yes no matter what we go through. Whether it's persecution or it is the worries of this life. How are you going to provide for your family? It has to be yes, Jesus. Yes, I don't care if I'm going through this. Yes, because our, our following of Jesus is not on a conditional basis where we're like, yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus, if you give me a good job. There have been great Christians, great men and women of God that have lost their job. Now, did God leave them? No. It's just what happens. But we still say yes to Jesus. We're like, okay, well, my yes is still on Jesus. I have still decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. So don't let the deceitfulness of wealth, greed, choke whatever God is doing in your life so that you can have a good, comfortable time on this planet and forget, disregard the kingdom of God. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. You hear the word. You understand it. You take your time. You slow roast in that in the Holy Ghost. And you're like, man, I want to ask the deep things of the faith. I want to learn about God from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even Noah. And I want to know how he is now and, and, and how I can learn about him now and follow him 100% wholeheartedly. Because anything less than that is not even following him. There's so many de deceiving things about who Jesus is. Many, many people like to create Jesus in their own image. They read the Bible. They're like, oh, it, the Bible is written by men. And I don't think that God could be that hateful. 
People going to hell is not God being hateful. That's people being hateful. They want to reject Jesus. They Look, they could crucify him if Jesus was here right now. People that are rejecting Jesus in their heart are already rejecting him. And if he was here right now, they'd put him on the cross too. How dare you call me out in sin? How dare you talk about your kingdom? How dare you say that you're my, you're, you're my king? Oh, people wouldn't like Jesus if he was here now. Wouldn't happen at all. So think about your life right now. Are you with the concerns of God? Or are you with the concerns of man? If you are any of these seeds and you haven't put your root in God and your root may be in your family and your root may be in church or your root may be in your job, just think about building a house. When you have that foundation, it must be God. Let's just say if your foundation is your family and then on the first floor you have your, your, your job, on the second floor you have church, third floor you have Jesus, think about that. When you lose your job, when you lose your family, everything comes crumbling down, including your relationship with God. But if your foundation is Jesus Christ, his word, then you build your family, first floor, then second floor, your job, third floor, your, your, your relationships. Whenever your relationships leave, you still have your foundation, amen? Whenever your job leaves, you still have your relationship. You got to make sure your yes is Jesus and that foundation is rooted in him. Your foundation should not be rooted in anything else. Forget that. Basura, it's garbage. That's why Jesus said, if you don't hate your mother, brother, sister, father, whatever it may be, you're not worthy of me. You have to see those things as taking the throne of your heart, and you hate that. You got to put me on the throne of your heart. I got two more scriptures for final encouragement. I know I talked a lot about persecution, taking things for Jesus, but that's true Christianity. I got to say it like it is. True Christianity is not just coming to a worship service saying, I encountered God, I'll go home. True Christianity is you encountering God and allowing others to encounter him as well by being bold in the faith. And 1 Peter 4, verse 1. I know i got a lot of scriptures today, but I love the word. I can't, what can I say? 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Come on, y'all want to be done with sin? You got to suffer in the body. As a result, they do not live the rest of their lives, earthly lives, for human desires. They don't live the rest of their lives for their own desires. You got to be done with sin, which means you got to suffer in the body. Don't give your body what it wants. Man, rebuke your body. You tell your body, you better be subject to the Son of God because I am. Look, if I cut off your limbs, you're still yourself, so you tell your body what to do. If you have to fast, you better fast. But rather for the will of God you got to be done with sin. Put your body through that suffering. Don't give your body what it wants. Rebuke your body. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Actually, no, let's just go to Romans 8, 34. Sorry about that. Romans 8, 34. This is our closing scripture. I want us to be encouraged. I had to talk about this today because I, this is exactly the theme that's going on. God is doing something in the church and he's separating the sheep from the goats. I believe it. Look, I believe it. And those who are not about it, they're going to be exposed. They may still have their church services, but look, I don't want to be the only one. Like, we don't want to be the only ones in Chicago that are about this. I don't want to be the only, we don't want to be the only ones in America that are about this. We got to bring the book of Acts back to America. Bring revival, Lord, but we got to, get, we got to expose these false prophets and false teachers in order for revival to happen. Because if we're, if we're so full of ourselves, where is the revival going to happen? The churches are still full of themselves. Where's the, 
So it's going to have to take us to rise up and say, God, use me. Being a prophet to the people, being a prophet to the false prophets. All these churches that are teaching wrong, that are not confronting sin. We have to. Romans 8.34, are we there? Yes, we are. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life. Hallelujah. Come on, he's risen. Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Look, we got Jesus interceding for us. We can make it, y'all. We can make it. He's interceding for us. And it's not just interceding because we lost our job. Like I said, most of these scriptures are not for, I lost my job, I lost my bank, I lost, I lost my family. These are meant for those who are standing up at the gates of hell as a church. And he's interceding for us. It's not because we lost our job. He's interceding for us. He's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall hardship or trouble or persecution or the coronavirus, famines, come on, nakedness, or danger, or the sword. What's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Are you going to let things get in the way of your relationship with God? Letting you get all fearful? Like, oh, forget Jesus. I didn't sign up for this. Put my life on the line, my livelihood on the line. I didn't sign up for this. Our yes to Jesus has to be all of that. You got to weigh it out. What am I saying yes to? You're saying yes to salvation, yes to prayer, intimacy, yes to being persecuted, yes to being hated, Yes to all that. Yes to enduring to the end, which means your yes is yes until you die. My yes is a yes for right now. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long and we are considered sheep to be slaughtered. Remember at this time, it was like if you're, if you're bearing the name of Christ, you're either going in jail or you're dying during this time. A place, a culture that hated Christians so much and it was okay to, to, to go ahead and lock them up. That's what they had to deal with. They said, man, am I going to follow Jesus? Even though those brothers and sisters over there are getting persecuted for their faith, they're getting hated, they're getting killed. Am I going to say yes to that? If you have the concerns of God, it's a no-brainer. Yes. I stand with Jesus, even if Jesus is uh, hated in our culture. So the answer to all that, what's going to separate us? Should all these things separate us from the love of Christ? No. Verse 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, look, we got to get this in our hearts. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, neither the present, nor the future, or any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on now, hallelujah. Let nothing separate you from Jesus. You stand up at anything, opposition, you take, you say yes to Jesus, and you continue your yes to Jesus. Amen? Come on, let's stand up and give Jesus some praise. Hallelujah, God. Thank you, God. Band and altar workers, you guys can come, please. I should have called you up earlier, but amen. Look, if you're tired of living that kind of life and your own concerns, if you want to really deny yourself, come get prayer. It's as easy as that. These brothers and sisters here in the Lord will love to pray with you, pray for you. So that you can be completely delivered from yourself, honestly. Put yourself in the grave. Not physically, okay? Don't, don't, be, don't be thinking I'm talking physically. Not that I think you were, but put yourself in the grave. Say, I'm done with my way of life. I don't want my concern. I don't want the concerns of man. I don't want to be so, uh, so eager to hear what my itching ears want to hear. Like, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. You know, God is, God is fighting for you, but we're never doing anything for God. When we stand with Jesus... In that battle, it may look like we're surrounded, 
but we're surrounded by him. And this is how we fight our battles. Not against flesh and blood, but in a spirit coming against those principalities. So let's begin to pray. Let's all close our eyes as we get ready to dismiss. Father, only you can expose things in people's hearts. Only you can convict hearts. God, you know who in this place is only dealing with their own concerns, a selfish kind of faith, a selfish kind of pursuit of Christianity, a selfishness. Only you can expose that, God. So I pray that you would expose and that those who need prayer will come to get prayer, God. And those who need to go out and preach will go out and preach, oh God. Those who need to be serious will get serious. Those who need to stand up and preach to their family members will do so as well. Those who need to pray for healing will pray for healing, God. Whatever you call each and every one of us to do, God, I pray that we will be your hands and feet, oh God. That your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. And I pray that your church will be your church in Chicago, God. That churches will rise up. And God, that we will be prophets to those churches. And we will, we will tell it like it is, Lord. We will not be fearful, but we will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, being emboldened to go out and make disciples and to tell the false prophets to stop prophesying lies. Lord, because Jeremiah the prophet had to stand up and tell the truth, even though the other false prophets were telling them lies. When the other false prophets were telling them, oh, don't even settle in, in Babylon because you're going to be out of here soon, in a few years. Where Jeremiah still proclaimed the truth, you better settle down in Babylon because you're going to be here 70 years. God, I pray that we would be bold to speak the truth in love, even if we get opposition for it, God. We know there's so many broken in Chicago, God, and there's so many churches that are still closed. There's so many churches that are not speaking up. I pray that you would use them, oh God, use us. For your, for your glory, God, for your kingdom. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. If you want prayer, come on up for prayer. We're going to dismiss. We're dismissing through the side doors, so you can feel free to leave from there once you are good and ready to go. Father, we thank you for your word that pierces dividing soul and spirit bone from marrow, God. And I pray that your will would be done in our lives as we go and make up, uh, seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, God, here in Chicago, Lord. We thank you. We bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You are dismissed. We'll see you at life groups. Come to church next week.